If you are growing, scaling your beauty business, personal care business, or what have you, and trying to get into retail, have capital upfront. And this is important because a lot of retailers are going to submit purchase orders for you to satisfy X number of quantities for this product. And a lot of times the net terms can be 30, 60, 90 days after a certain date that they've given to you. So do you have enough capital in place to accommodate for that, to keep your business running and your operations running as you're waiting for you to be paid out from your purchase order from the retailers? So have capital in place and make sure that you save some for different aspects of your business and make sure you have a financial coach, accountant, CPA, somebody to help you with that. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new season of Start Right Here. We are the podcast that puts the spotlight on the career paths of BIPAC beauty professionals, entrepreneurs, and creatives, as well as issues related to beauty and inclusion impacting us in the industry, as well as impacting consumers. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope that conversations on this show help fuel your path to success. Today, I'm really excited to talk about an area of beauty that we often overlook, the logistics, the operational aspects of beauty, and what it takes to get your product on the shelf. And I'm so excited to welcome Megan Gamble-Young, Project Execution Her at Get Level Consulting, who's going to walk us through not only her career path, but what it takes to get your product on the retail shelf, and the steps we may miss as entrepreneurs of beauty brands or early entrepreneurs of beauty brands that are really important. So welcome, Megan. Thank you. Thank you for having me and excited to be here. Before we start talking about your career path, let's begin with some fun questions in our For the Love of Beauty section. What's the first beauty product you ever purchased or tried? Oh my gosh, I had to think on this one because it's two products that come to mind. So the first beauty product that my mom bought me, I was going to becoming a preteen, going into adolescence, and it was Exclamation Perfume, where you used to get the kit in Walgreens store and it would have the perfume, the lotion, the shower gel. I think it even had like the round little soaps in it. So that was probably like 25 plus years ago now. But I vividly remember it because it was something very unique about the packaging with the exclamation mark on there. But I would say the first beauty product that I purchased myself was lip gloss out of a beauty supply store. That's where you had the roll-on lip gloss that you would buy right at the checkout counter of your beauty supply store. And growing up in Little Rock, Arkansas, like I used to be in the beauty supply stores all the time because I used to wear braids all the time, rock it out and change my hairstyle. So lip gloss. Had to buy all the time and keep in stock. Had grape, orange, lime, strawberry, cherry, every flavor you could think of, I had it. So that was my first beauty product that I purchased myself. Yeah, and side note, we can never discount the importance of the beauty supply store, particularly for the Black community, for the breadth of products that they sell. And the other thing that I like is to see a lot of Black young women starting beauty supply stores. And taking back an effort to get back the category because we spend so much there. Oh, yes, absolutely. I spend a lot of time, even still to this day, a lot of time in beauty supply stores. 
The last fun question is, what's the beauty advice you live by or leave alone? Oh, that's a good question. So beauty advice that I live by is to take care of yourself and be your own definition of beauty. So a lot of times in the industry, they say it's one image of beauty or one style of beauty, or this is what you should look like in the beauty world, but that's not true. So I always tell people, be confident in yourself, show up for yourself and know that you are your own definition of beauty. So what that looks like to you may differ for me. Another thing I would say is as we age, we get older, our skin is not having the elasticity that it used to. So make sure you take care of your skin because it will take care of you. And this is the only skin that we have in our whole lifetime. So I would say those would be my two little nuggets for beauty advice. But the main one is to be your own definition of beauty. Was the beauty industry a destination or a detour for you? Oh, a detour. Absolute detour. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more about that. You had no idea that you would end here. What did you major in in school? No. So I actually have an undergrad Bachelor of Science in Chemistry where I was actually going to pharmacy school as well as studying public health. And at that time, I actually was working as a pharmacy technician. I'm a licensed pharmacy technician and had the opportunity to work there. And I also worked in pharmacology research. As I was starting to really get my bearings and see what I wanted to do as my lifelong career, I realized that pharmacy really wasn't the end destination for me for a couple of reasons, but it's a great field, but it just wasn't for me. So at that time, when I graduated college from Kennesaw State University in December 2009, I needed a job. And at that time, there was not a lot of positions readily available because of the market at the time that we've experienced in 2008 into 2009. So I wanted to go into the Air Force as an officer. I can only go in enlisted, graduating from college. And my boyfriend at the time, now husband, was working at Enterprise. And he was like, just come here. We can get the referral money. We can split it. That let me know he was a keeper then. But he was like, come work at Enterprise. It's a great career. You can learn a lot of good skills as you're trying to find the next opportunity for you. So start off at Enterprise, went through their management program, but there's a lot of logistics and coordination that goes on in the retail branches that a lot of people don't know about. They only think of, we pick you up, the slogan for Enterprise. But work my way up the ranks and everything. I'm to assistant manager. And after I got into a bad car accident working with Enterprise, I ended up going to the insurance side of it. And at that time, that's where I learned more of the insurance side in automotive but still a lot of logistics and coordination and a lot of project management as well. That led me to eventually get to this point, which I know we'll talk a lot more in depth about soon. You've answered some of the questions I was about to ask, but talk more about the skills that are transferable that you got from enterprise and from insurance. Absolutely. So I would say the first thing I will definitely note is customer service. So anybody who has gone to an enterprise rental car or a national Alamo, because they're all underneath the same company, customer service is the main thing because you're forefacing with customers and such. Second thing is it helps with development of your sales skills. So we had to actually sell damage waiver or personal insurance or supplemental liability protection that can help protect you and not having to utilize your insurance in the event of an unfortunate circumstance like an accident, somebody sideswipes your car, what have you. Third thing for enterprise is logistics. 
a lot of times we are having to coordinate logistics to get cars from headquarters or the regional branches or office to then see how it's going to be spread out across the different areas. Because if you're in Ackworth versus Atlanta Airport, they determine what the demand is. So it's a lot of logistic coordination that happens behind the scenes. But even in the branches, you have to also understand how to coordinate logistics as well, because you're shuffling cars, cars are going in and out for maintenance service. You may not have cars and you're having to find uh, ways to actually still accommodate your clients. So those would be the top three skills I would really say from enterprise. But even still in the insurance side, those three things still are applicable because you're still speaking with people about their claims and such. But also sales comes into play because you need to know how to communicate sales with insurance like travel or state farm, et cetera, as well as with enterprise. And then third thing I would say is a lot of project management on the insurance side. So you're handling a lot of claims because here in Atlanta, everybody drives everywhere. So you have to be sure to know how to accommodate for all the influx of claims that are coming in. So it's a lot of project management that happens behind the scenes, especially with coordination with main insurance companies, speaking with different claimants and insurers, as well as assessing property damage to then determine what's the scope, what's the cost, what's the timeframes for repairs, what's the timeframe for payouts, et cetera. So those are some of the transferable skills from the enterprise retail branch, as well as the insurance side that definitely contributes over into this beauty world. How did you transition into beauty? Like, talk me through not only the interview process, like convincing someone, okay, looking at my resume, I worked at enterprise, I have a chemistry degree that worked in insurance, but I'm your person for beauty. Yeah. <laughs> So as I shared, beauty was definitely a detour for me. And when I was working at Enterprise on the insurance side, I was already doing a lot of project management in that space. But as I was doing a lot of project management in that space or on the insurance side, that's when I also acquired my PMP, Project Management Professional Certification. And as I was able to grow up the ranks and pretty much hit a plateau with growing my career, on the insurance side of enterprise, I needed something that was going to be, one, more fulfilling. Two, I just earned a certification, so I need to be able to have more money, okay, because inflation. And then three, I wanted to have something where a title was officially a project manager because I just earned my certification. So as I was applying for jobs, I came across this one opportunity where it was in the beauty world. And I was like, I've never seen anything beauty related housed here in the South specifically in Atlanta. So I applied. Ironically, it was in the building next door to where I was working at that time. Really? Yes. Like it was just God saying that it was meant to be. I was right there in the next building to me, what they were looking for, which was a lot of the transferable skills that I talked about earlier with you. And they were looking for somebody who's never been in the industry before. They wanted somebody who understood project management, but had a fresh perspective of the industry to come in and be able to offer new suggestions, new inputs, processes for continuous improvement and more. So that's how I eventually came into the beauty world, starting off as a project manager. Wow. What was the learning curve like? Oh my gosh. The learning curve was definitely a significant one, for sure, because there was a lot of things that I, at that time, did not realize was required for the development of products and specifically just to packaging. I didn't even know packaging was its own industry when I started in the beauty world. But a lot of transferable skills, and it's definitely a learning curve. 
But I would say understanding the framework of project management is definitely a bonus because it gives us the flexibility to take techniques and tools and deliverables and more from our toolkit and modify it or have like a bespoke approach, tailored approach to that respective industry. So that's the beauty of project management is that it's universal, but you can craft it for whichever industry that you're in. But I would say for understanding like all the tasks and the activities, that was a learning curve. I probably had it down in about 30 days because I had to oversee a lot of products coming at that time. But definitely a big learning curve for sure. (laughs) I'm sure it sounds almost overwhelming, but 30 days is impressive. But I guess it was necessary because the train was moving. So you had to manage it if you're the project manager. Exactly. Let's talk about the importance of project management in getting a beauty brand on the shelf. A lot of times people think project management is only for the IT world, and that is not the case. Project management is in our everyday lives. And I tell people, think about how you manage your own life with family, with school, with building your business, growing your business, and more. Your project managing your life. So some of the essential skills that are necessary is number one, understanding what is your time frame, which is the schedule. If you're taking the PNP or prepared for the PNP, schedule management is definitely one of those knowledge areas. So how do you actually complete all your tasks in the matter of a day? How do you get your children to and from daycare and then after school activities and then bring them home for homework and stuff? Just how I'm breaking that down with everyday life, that applies within the beauty space too. Second thing, understanding the scope, pretty much all the things that are required to produce the output. And so understanding that in your personal life, whereas, okay, I have to get my kids to soccer and they're planning to go into the playoffs. So that means that they need to get new cleats, they need new uniforms, et cetera. And so understanding that as part of the scope to actually get your child into playoffs, similar approach to this beauty world. So understanding what type of product it is you're developing, what markets you're going to be launching this product into. Also understanding how is it different or similar to products in the market to help you with defining the proper scope with launching your product. And then third thing I would say is also the cost comes down to dollars and cents. So just like if you go to the grocery store, you may have an intended budget to buy all of your groceries. Same thing applies in the beauty space too. You definitely need to have a budget in place to know how you're going to be able to work and if you're going to be producing something on a small scale with a small batch manufacturer, if you're producing products and making them at home, or if you're actually working with a contract manufacturer. At the end of the day, regardless of where you're at, you still need to have a budget in place and understanding the costs that are required, not only for your materials, but also for the finished good product to get it to the store. If you have shelf space, what is that percentage that you have to account for? Is that buffered into your cost and more? So just how I talked about the three triple constraints in project management, schedule, cost, and scope, it's the same thing with launching your product. You have to know the scope, you have to know what your schedule is, and you definitely have to know the cost and the investment that's required to produce your product. Yeah, that's true. Let's talk about how you gained your experience in packaging and the importance of packaging. Oh my gosh. I learned my experience of packaging working at Astral Health and Beauty, which is the beauty company that I work with based here in Atlanta, Georgia. And as I was in the new product development department, my direct supervisor was a packaging engineer. That's what he did and had the opportunity to work at numerous companies before then. 
as he was my direct supervisor and as I had to dive deep into understanding the beauty world, I took it upon myself to learn more about the packaging aspect, understanding what's required to produce the packaging, what's the output, how do we test it with contract manufacturers or third-party labs, also artwork on packaging, because that was one of my main responsibilities was packaging artwork. So understanding how to convey the packaging artwork that aligns with the cost to then convey to graphic designers. So I had to learn a whole lot in reference to packaging in that space. But I would say one of the most important things to understand with packaging is that, number one, packaging is all around us and we don't even realize it. From our toothpaste containers to your favorite foundation to even your favorite skincare, the bottles, the pumps, everything that you think of that's touching the product is packaging. And so packaging is the first impression of your brand, regardless if they tried your product before or not. Packaging represents your brain first. It's the first impression, just like we're going on a date. If you date me, I'm showing up to see, okay, how's the conversation? How are you enticing me? Where are we going to? And everything as part of that first impression. So packaging is very similar to that. And then secondly, I would say understanding the main functions of packaging is really important for brands. So understanding that as it's its first impression, that helps with the promotion part of packaging function. Understanding that packaging is also utilized for transport. So how do you transport the goods to and from destination A to destination B? And we're not even accounting for transportation from like contract manufacturers to filler provider to secondary packaging. We're not even accounting that. But just thinking of packaging as transport. Third, packaging is also to contain your product. So when you see a fill weight of one fluid ounce for a skincare serum, that lets you know that packaging is to contain that product based upon that fill weight, based upon volume or mass, mass in grams, volume in milliliters. And then understanding those packaging functions is definitely important because it's critical to your operations as well as your bottom line for your brand and also what your suggested retail price should be. So a lot of contributing factors around packaging for brands to actually have the products be available to their consumers and on the retail space. And I think this is really important, especially if you're just starting out or you're thinking about starting a beauty brand. The couple of things you said, the project management components, especially price and figuring out those kinds of things and timeline. But also when it comes to packaging, it's not a throwaway item. It's something that's very important. And there's regulations involved with packaging. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Oh, yes. Very good point, because this is something that I've noticed working with some indie brands is that when we look at their packaging, it's not compliant from a regulatory standpoint to be available in these retail stores. So one thing I always tell my clients and I highly recommend for everybody listening to this session as well is please go and look at the Fair Care Labeling Act 1967. And the reason I say to look at that is because it's going to tell you based upon what type of product you are launching, if it's a color cosmetic, if it's skincare product and more, it's going to specifically tell you the information that is required to be on your packaging. And this is something required for a lot of retail stores too. So for instance, if you look at your favorite lip gloss, I'm just using lip gloss because that's one of my favorite beauty products. So when I look at my lip gloss and... Let's say, for instance, I just received LYS Beauty lip gloss. Understanding that I have the product name, which tells me, okay, this is your product name of the product. 
and then also having what's called your SOI, Statement of Identity. That is where it's specifying what type of product this is. So for example, LYS Beauty, I just bought a lip gloss. Their product name is Speak Love, but their SOI, Statement of Identity, which is stating what it is, says Glossy Lip Treatment Oil. And a lot of times, a lot of brands miss that opportunity of listing their SOI on their products. And then also when they're trying to get into retail stores, retailers like you need to go through a packaging update to include that, or you don't have translations depending upon which market you're launching into and more. So I would say that would be the first thing. Second thing is understanding you definitely need to have your product weight specified on all of your products. And a lot of indie brands miss that opportunity and they're just eyeballing it. And so you have to know what your product weight is in that packaging of that product because that is a requirement for retail stores. They want to see if you are launching a lip gloss and you say it's 12 milliliters, how is that comparable to the other lip glosses that are available on the market? Because you have Maybelline, you have L'Oreal, you have Revlon, you have CoverGirl, you have Pixie, you have Amon, you have NYX, you have Lip Bark, you have so many other competitors that you're having to compete with on this market space. But that's also where understanding competitive analysis up front and having that part of your research and development at the beginning is important. But free of claims, is it vegan friendly? Is it cruelty free? Is it fragrance free? Understanding those things is important. And that's why the Fair Care Labeling Act is going to list all of those things of what you can and cannot include on your packaging for primary packaging, which Primary packaging, anything that's pretty much touching your product, so bottles, tubes, pumps, glass glass jars, etc. And then your secondary packaging, which could be labels applied onto the primary packaging or folding cartons, etc., needs to include the same information. So they specify what information needs to be included because that's part of the regulatory aspect and also requirements for some of the retailers as well. Really, really important. And I think you're right that a lot of indie brands overlook some of this. Just so excited to get their product out there that when a retail opportunity comes up, then they have to make a significant investment to meet the requirements. Now at Astro, you worked at many brands that our audience will be familiar with. Can you tell us about some of them? Absolutely. So under Astro Health and Beauty, they now have four brands. But the main brand that most people know about is Pure Cosmetics, P-U-R Cosmetics, that's featured in Ulta, Kohl's, and Select Macy's, because I remember we did a big Barbie collaboration that was launched in Macy's, like in New York and such. And then also the second brand is Butter London, which is more of a nail care line, but they also do offer beauty products as well. They have a really good Lumi Tint foundation that's really good. Third brand is called Cosmetics. So they're more so in like your medical spas, dermatology offices, and more. And then the last brand is called Alouette. So with Alouette, that's more of like your direct-to-consumer brand where you have consultants that actually can sell directly to their customers. But we would create everything underneath the main company to make it available to those consultants to sell to their consumers. So four brands underneath the Astral Health and Beauty family. And I was definitely honored that I had the opportunity to work on all four brands prior to me leaving the company. So this is really interesting because in this role, you worked on every category. You worked in the products that went to beauty specialty. You worked in med spa, 
spa product. You worked in direct to consumer, direct to consumer sales, and you worked cosmetic, nails, skincare, like it's all the categories. And you don't live in New York or Los Angeles. That I think is really, really critical because people think you have to live somewhere specific to get it done. But are there opportunities outside of New York is the question. Absolutely. Definitely opportunities everywhere. Regardless of where you're located, there are opportunities. Of course, when it comes to finding the right suppliers for your business, you may have to go outside of your location, but it has to make sense for your brand. So if you're creating your formulations at the house for creating like a body butter, you may be buying all your raw materials from the supplier to have them come to your house. But if you're working with a contract manufacturer, they are actually acquiring the materials for you to produce it in bulk for the respective quantities. So I always tell people, see how you can leverage opportunities and suppliers close by you, but then start to spread outward depending upon where you're located because you need to think about transit, logistics, getting products to and from the different locations. And then secondly, think about, of course, money, dollar dollar bills for it to make sense for your business as well. Okay, so you hit on something that we didn't really talk about. What are the things you have to consider for transit logistics? Oh, gosh. Oh, so a lot of things. So I would say if you are a indie brand that is in the startup phase and say, for instance, you're creating your products at the house and buying stock packaging, thinking of what your logistics is going to be is important at the beginning of creating your products. Reason I say that is because, number one, if you're creating products at the house, that means you're going direct to consumer because you're possibly having these products be available on your e-commerce site, Shopify site, or whatever type of site you are utilizing for your e-commerce store. And so understanding, number one, are you offering returns? Can your customers return the products? If so, that needs to be encompassed into your logistics plan. Because how you ship the product to them, you also need to make sure you're able to get it back. Are you offering packaging shipper or a packaging polymeller that can account for forward, getting it from you to the consumer, and reverse consumer back to you logistics? And the packaging needs to complement that. So that's one area of things to think about from a logistics standpoint. Secondly, how do you ship the product and protect them during transit is another key thing. So making sure that you're utilizing the proper sizing of shipping materials to actually accommodate your products for shipping, because that also contributes to cost of shipping the product as well. So understanding what's the weight of your product, what type of packaging you're utilizing, is it a plastic tube, is it a glass jar, et cetera? Those things are definitely things you need to be thinking about and encompass as part of your logistics model, because getting products to and from, that's part of logistics. So you need to think about those things as well. And as you're thinking about the weight of your products and how many products people can actually buy at one time, if you have just a corrugated shipper, can that corrugated shipper support the weight of all the products you're putting into it? Because if not, that means you possibly need a different type of packaging shipper box that's able to hold more weight and such. So that's a little bit more technical, but Thinking about those things, forward reverse logistics, where is it coming from, going to, also the size and the weight of your packaging plays a critical part on your logistics. And then also making sure you're getting the proper rates for your products you're shipping out based upon the dimensions. All of those things are important for logistics that a lot of people don't think about 
and they only think about when it's time to ship it out, but it really should be thought about and included in part of your strategic plan at the beginning of development and also the coordination of logistics of getting materials, packaging, and also getting the products to and from the consumer. So a lot of inputs, but those are just some tidbits. I think those are some great points. And then if you are a brand that's in retail, the logistics of getting stuff to warehouses, getting stuff to the retailer. And I guess it's kind of like bot times 100 of all the things yes. that you've discussed here. <laughs> Absolutely. Because even with retailers, and this can vary with different retailers too, but they may state that, okay, here is our supplier manual. Your products needs to be unitized on this pallet, this specified way. It needs to be shipped to our DC, Distribution Center, DC, based upon these requirements. So you possibly have to coordinate the transportation yourself. Some retailers offer transportation or third-party logistic providers you can utilize that are in that network. But getting the products, your finished good product, wherever that's going to be coming from, if that's your contract manufacturer or your home headquarters, understanding how you're going to be getting to and from the retail stores is important too. And I'll just say this tidbit, a lot of retailers... When they issue a PO, a purchase order, they're looking at when the product can be received in their distribution center, not your distribution center. And there's a lot of missed opportunities that indie brands make because they think, oh, as long as I have it in my home headquarters or my headquarters, wherever that may be, I met the time frame. That's not the case. You need to make sure that you're meeting the time frame that the retailers gave you on their purchase order, PO for it to arrive into their distribution center by that date. Because if not, you can have, I don't want to say penalties, but they can actually take a certain percentage from the PO for you being late. Or you have missed opportunities to actually have your product on the retail shelf if you miss those dates. So understand all of those things is important. And with any brands that are working with retailers, understand and capture their requirements for logistics, for transportation. If you're working with different vendors, are they EDI compliant, electronic data interchange compliant, and more. So it's a lot more entail with the retail space, but I just want to make those call out. So any brands who are positioning themselves to be in retail, regardless of what that time frame may be, please keep these things in mind because it definitely is critical to your operations as well. Wow. Was entrepreneurship something that you planned on? No. It wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I would say my boyfriend, now husband. So remember I told you how the cute little guy that was like, hey, come work at Enterprise and we can split the referral money. Well, my husband now, I told you he was a keeper, but he was the one that actually helped me to really understand and start having an entrepreneurial mindset. And he helped me understand that like, it's good to work anywhere you want to work but also think about how you can be generating your own money as well. So that's how I really got into entrepreneur space because I saw him do the same thing as he was working his nine to five job. He was building his entrepreneur business and has had multiple businesses as well. And that's what really opened up my eyes. And then as I was reflecting on like my entrepreneurship career and journey, because it is a journey, it's a marathon, really not a sprint. But I also remember back to when my mom, I was a teenager and my two younger sisters were like probably four and five because they're 18 months apart. And I remember my mom, she was starting her real estate business at that time to have a little bit more flexibility 
in her schedule to be able to be home with us and more. And so at first I thought it was just my now husband, but then boyfriend. But when I reflect back on it, my mom also contributed to understanding entrepreneurship and how you can still have a nine to five, you can still build a business and everything and still maintain your family life. Of course, there's a lot of work-life balance that has to be juggled, but entrepreneurship for me was definitely not in the plans. I thought I was going to pharmacy school and that was going to be my lifelong career for 30 plus years. So now being this entrepreneurship journey has definitely been rewarding. Challenges, of course, but that's with anything in life. Yes. So tell me about your title, Project Execution Her. Yes. So I do call myself the Project Execution Her because I'm a female, African-American female in the project management space, which is a male-dominated field. A lot of times people say, well, why don't you introduce yourself as the founder or as the owner? And I do that very strategically. And the reason for that is because a lot of times when they see us come up to the table, they think that we are just a colleague, you know, could still be executive leadership, but they don't look at us as the owners, as the founders. So when I introduce myself as the project execution her, it captures their attention. They're like, okay, wait, tell me more. So it's like enticing them to give them a taste. So then I can tell them what we do at Gill Level Consulting and more. So as I'm talking, they're like, oh, so who's the owner? You're actually speaking with her. Oh, you're the owner. Yes. So I don't introduce myself as the owner or founder. I specifically state the project execution her because I'm a female in the project management space and executing the respective task and to produce the deliverables is what I do. And that's something that everybody's always told me from the time I was 15 with my first job at Foot Locker to even now is that I get the job done. And that's a lot of execution that's happening behind the scenes in order to produce those respective outputs and deliverables. So that's why I call myself the Project Execution Heart. Tell me about the services offered at Get Level Consulting. Absolutely. At Get Level Consulting, we actually deliver packaging solutions to startup and legacy brands that are in the personal care space, specifically within health, beauty, cosmetics, and wellness, where we help pimp your packaging from conception to distribution to the retail shelf, whether that's on your e-commerce store or in a brick and mortar store. And at Get Level Consulting, we have a couple different services to accommodate and partner with those startup and legacy brands. First thing is, if you have a concept and you're now ready to make it come to reality, how do you make that happen? What is the packaging? How does it complement the product? So with us as your in-house partner, we actually help with packaging strategy and development. And underneath that, we help you with a strategic plan. So understanding the scope of the product that I talked about earlier, understanding the time frame, the markets and more to actually help determine what's the right approach and the strategy to help launch. Secondly, we actually help with packaging design as well within our practice. So once you come to us, we can actually determine what's the scope and everything. And we actually help you with the design execution aspect of your packaging. And then third, under strategy and development, we actually help with the sourcing and procurement of your packaging that complements the quantities as well as the markets you're launching into. Because understanding Fair Care Labeling Act, regulatory, and also the markets you're launching into, you need to know what type of packaging is compatible for that space as well. So we help with packaging strategy development. The second thing is project management expertise. So as I shared earlier, products that go to market, there is some type of project manager that is helping to oversee those products 
get to the market. And so understanding that we help serve as your in-house partners where we offer project management expertise. So helping to find areas of improvement within your product launches to see how we can improve that process, not only for you, but also for your contract manufacturers, as well as just with launching your products in the retail stores. And we also help with establishment of project management offices as well, which is something I'm really big on because project management, that's my boo. So I actually love that space and I've actually helped with project management formations within different departments of companies as well. And then third thing is logistics and operations. So understanding where your product is going, how you're going to get it to and from and what's the right model for you falls underneath the logistics and operation part of our business. So we're able to help with operations management, helping with coordination of logistics, considering forward and reverse logistics. Like I talked about, if you're offering refunds and your customers get it back, that's reverse logistics. So we help with those areas. And then last but not least, we actually help leaders and train them to be more effective so they can then become trainers in their organizations and also the industry. So we also offer training and development trainings for organizations as well as indie brands to actually help accelerate their growth. So four areas where we help within Gill Level Consulting, so packaging, strategy, and development, project management, logistics and operation, and training and development of our leaders. That's a lot. How large is your team? With me and my in-house team of experts, it's a total of eight of us on the team. Okay, that's a nice size. Okay, here's a question. Do you find that people have unrealistic expectations about timelines? Girl, you almost made me choke up on coffee. And how do you break the news to the indie manufacturer or potential indie owner of a brand that you can't come to me with an idea (laughs) and your product will not be on the shelves in three months? Oh, gosh. Oh, so you know what a lot of indie brands are thinking. So that's a very good question. The first thing I always like to tell my clients or even prospects is when I have an insight session with them up front, which is not a consultation call. One of the questions I always ask them is, what is your time frame for launch? And that's when they'll say three months of time. But when I understand what they've done thus far, I tell them then that's not realistic. And, you know, a lot of times indie brands are like, well, why not? Like I see people launch products to market and it seems like they have it in place in three months. I'm like, yes, that could be the case, but you don't know all the things that they've already done to actually launch in three months. You don't know if they've already had the packaging in place and it's already been filled and they just apply labels onto it and then they shipped it out. You don't know that. But with your products, you have to understand what it is. So during those calls, I usually just pull up a Word document and I craft out like a really rough draft product timeline. And understanding that, I tell them, okay, where are you at with your formulation or your product? If just say, for instance, they're working with a cosmetic chemist. Okay, great. So you work with your cosmetic chemist. They develop this formula for you. Is it approved? Is the final formula approved? Yes. Okay, have you gone through testing? No. So if you have not gone through testing, stability testing, You can get your results in as little as three months, but it has to be tested for stability testing. And then second thing, based upon what you mentioned to me for what type of packaging you want to house this product in, let's say, for instance, is a plastic PET airless bottle with a pump, then that means that you now have to go through packaging compatibility testing, which is an additional three months of having your product, your final formula be inside of the desired packaging that you want for testing which is different than stability testing. So 
Understanding those things when I'm drafting out this product timeline and showing them all the things that are required for them to produce the final product, the finished good, to then be available to their consumers or to be available to actually have the retailers purchase and be on the retail shelf, they need to understand what all is required. So three months time frame, most of the time is not realistic. A lot of times I tell people with product development, even with packaging itself, you need to account for at least nine to 12 months. It is a journey. It is a marathon, just like the entrepreneurship journey. So you need to treat your products that are being developed just like your entrepreneurship journey. It is a journey. It is not a sprint. It is not going to be done by the time you snap your fingers. There's a lot of things that has to go into place. And even from that regulatory part, I only talked about the Fair Care Labeling Act with information that needs to be on your packaging. But also from a regulatory standpoint, you have to have testing information in place too, because your retailers may be asking you to supply your reports from stability testing, from packaging compatibility testing. If you're working with the contract manufacturer, have they conducted line trials, which is a mini production run before your mass production run and more. So a lot of things goes into play, but a lot of times three months is not realistic. But that's where I like to draft up a Word document, type it up as we're talking to show them all the requirements and steps that are required to produce their finished good. And to be honest, I don't care if you're producing products in your home kitchen or in a contract manufacturer. You need to be thinking about the same thing because you're not trying to create products from your kitchen forever. You're going to be growing and scaling your brand. You're going to then be like, OK, I need a small batch manufacturer. Now I need a filler that can accommodate 5,000 pieces. Now I need a contract manufacturer that can fulfill 20,000 pieces because you're growing. But you need to start incorporating these best practices now and have realistic expectations now. So when you do get into retail, you already know what the time frame is and not having unrealistic expectations, thinking that it only takes three months to produce a product because it's not the case. It takes a lot longer to produce that. Yes. So once someone understands that it is a marathon, are they working with you for the nine to 12 months? How does that work? Great question. So it really varies depending upon the scope of the project. Some of our clients, they've already completed all testing and formulations and such, and they just need the packaging to be ready for retail. So that time frame can vary depending upon quantities, depending upon the packaging scope, inspiration, markets that it's going to be launching to, understanding which retailers they're trying to be housed into because if they want to be in Target versus Sephora, different requirements from a retail perspective. So are we capturing all the requirements for all retailers to then make sure this one product that's going to market is compliant for both retailers? So even with that, that can vary from a time frame perspective. But we have some clients where we just help them with the packaging aspect. Some clients, we actually oversee their full project for launch over that 12-month period. So it really varies depending upon the scope. But good thing is we meet you right where you are in the process and actually help you with getting your product to market and launch. What are the skills you need to be a project executioner? <laughs> I mean, you need a lot of skills. <laughs> but what do you think the hard skills that you need? And then I want to know about the unsung skill you need to succeed. Oh, there's so many skills that I could say, but I would say top skills that anybody would need to be a project manager over their products, their life, or whatever the case may be. First thing is 
how do you effectively communicate? So communication is key for any and everybody. Like being able to communicate with your significant other is important. So you need to understand how you can effectively communicate your project, your ideas, your timelines, the scope of the project, and more to anybody that may ask you to give more insight about your product that's being developed. So that's the first thing, effective communication. Second thing I would say is having those realistic expectations. That is something that's key for anybody. And so what I mean by the expectations is based upon this product that you're developing, what are you expected for the outcome? So thinking with the end goal in mind, okay, one of the seven habits of highly effective people, Stephen Covey talked about it, think with the end goal in mind. And that's great to think with the end goal in mind, but now it's time to break it down into smaller pieces that are digestible for you to actually be able to go and put forth action behind it. So I would say that from an expectation standpoint and thinking with the end goal in mind. Third thing I would say is being able to be adaptable and be agile. So depend upon your time frame, depend upon the requirements for getting your product on your e-commerce site or even in the retail store. You need to be agile. So understanding how you can dual track certain tasks to still meet the end time frame, the end goal in mind. Understanding what the requirements for retail are, even contract manufacturers before you can even get to retail. If you're working with contract manufacturers, what are their requirements? And so understanding these things is really important for launching and some key skills to have. And of course, customer service, because at any rate, we're all in business and you want to make sure that your customer service is definitely up to par or beyond par because you want to keep that reoccurring customer coming back. Because a lot of times, a lot of brands, they survive off loyal customers. But it's that experience and the customer service that you put behind it to keep those customers coming back for more and more and more. So I would say those are some top skills that anybody needs to have within the project management world. I would say unsung skill is, I kind of said it with the first one, with being agile, being flexible. But I think that is definitely an unsung skill because a lot of times people think you can only do things one after the other. So sequential or chronological, and that's not the case. You can do a lot of tasks for production of your products simultaneously. So that's where in project management, that's where we'll dual path, where they're going parallel to each other, even though it could be two different tracks, but they're still tracking along the same path in parallel. So that's where we'll dual track. But I think that's really a big unsung skill that a lot of brands can utilize is seeing what you can actually dual track. Two things can be done simultaneously to help with your time frame, And that's where the expectations, the scope, cost, schedule, triple constraints, and more from project management standpoint really come into play to help with the production of your brand as well as just entrepreneur journey as well. Just for my edification, how do you get certified as a project manager? How does one get certified? Great question. The main governing body is Project Management Institute. They are on a global scale, globally around the world. And underneath PMI, Project Management Institute, that is where you can get different certifications based upon your skill set and also the areas and the industries that you serve. So if you are actually wanting to go into this journey, understand project management, but you have not had a lot of experience in project management, you can start off by getting what's called the CAPM, C-A-P-M, which means Certified Associate in Project Management. And that's a great way to kind of get your foot in the door, entryway to understand project management and how to apply it within the different industries. Now, if you've already had a lot of project management experience, 
And within project management, I'll talk about some of the qualifications and requirements in just a moment. But the next step is if you've had a good bit of experience in the space in project management and you want to get officially certified, you can get what's called a PMP. That's what I have project management professional. And that's saying that you have advanced skills and knowledge and understanding of how to effectively run a project from beginning to end. And you also satisfy some of the requirements from according to PMI, Project Management Institute, to become eligible to be a PMP. So some of those qualifications entail, number one, you do have to attain what's called 35 contact hours, which is kind of like continuing education courses, but you have to obtain those first before you can even complete your application. Second thing is you also have to show proof of 4,500 hours of project management experience. And with that, you're able to submit that and put it on your application to show how you have diverse experience or any type of experience that equals up to the 4,500 professional experience hours. And then last thing is, Per PMI, they may require you to have a post-secondary degree along with the 4,500 hours of project management experience and the 35 contact hours, which is your professional education courses. But if you do not have a post-secondary education, you are still eligible to qualify for a PMP. That just means you will have to have a little bit more project management experience hours along with the contact hours. So all of that information is available on the website www.pmi.org, where you can actually see all the requirements based upon where you're at and also see how it aligns with your career. But I highly recommend it for those who are wanting to understand the process, the framework, how to utilize it, and how it's flexible to be utilized across multiple industries. So I love being a project manager. This was my destination to get to, and that's why I was like, I took a detour to get here, but I absolutely love what I do. Finally, in this last section of the podcast, I want to leave our listeners with some concrete steps on where to begin. So let's go into our starting five that take away tips from our guests. Could you offer our listeners five tips they need to consider in planning to launch an indie brand and get it on a retail shelf? Let's see. Number one. Understanding your product and packaging can take more time. So that's where understanding those realistic expectations and making sure that you're accounting and buffering that time into your timeline as well. So I would say that'd be the first thing is having realistic expectations on the time frame. Second thing, please, please, please invest in yourself and your brand. If you are trying to pitch to get into retail stores and you're only drafting things that are not going to equal up or be up to par with your brand or your aesthetic or your ethos, please take time to invest into your brand before you go and pitch retailers. They have a lot of brands that are pitching them. Everybody is trying to get a spot on the shelf. So make sure that you invest in your brand to make sure that it shows up for yourself. Because remember, packaging is the first impression of your brand. So how you show up matters. And also then lets you know how it's going to continue the conversation, interest and more. So invest in your brand, your company, and more. Third thing, please make sure that you do plan. Planning is key. Remember, think with the end goal in mind, one of the seven habits of highly effective people. So when you think with the end goal in mind, break that down into bite-sized chunks so you can then put forth action. Because planning is key, especially in this space. Regardless if you're creating a body butter and you're trying to have it be launched 
on Target e-commerce site, your e-commerce site, and then trying to be on Net-A-Portier uh, site, you need to know how you're going to get there because you're thinking with the end goal in mind, but breaking those down into bite-sized amounts is what's going to actually help you put forth the action. Fourth thing is understand what the requirements are for retail. And this is something really important because if you're trying to pitch to Target, to Sephora, to Macy's, to Kohl's, to Ulta, to wherever it may be, okay, you need to understand the retail requirements because they can all differ with those requirements. And with those requirements that you're trying to pitch and get into retail stores, how are you capturing all of them? How are you making sure that your product is compliant for them to be available and also be able to see from not only product standpoint, but also packaging, because they do have different requirements for both. There's requirements for products and requirements for packaging. So how are you making sure that you're aligning to both of those to dual track it to then be available to the retail store? And then last but not least, if you are growing, scaling your beauty business, personal care business or what have you, and trying to get into retail, have capital upfront. And this is important because a lot of retailers are going to submit purchase orders for you to satisfy X number of quantities for this product. And a lot of times the net terms can be 30, 60, 90 days after a certain date that they've given to you. So do you have enough capital in place to accommodate for that, to keep your business running and your operations running as you're waiting for you to be paid out from your purchase order from the retailers? So have capital in place and make sure that you save some for different aspects of your business and make sure you have a financial coach, accountant, CPA, somebody to help you with that because that capital is important to keep your operations afloat instead of always bootstrapping and always being behind the eight ball with trying to get your income coming in. So I would say those would be the five things I highly recommend for any brands who are positioning their products on e-commerce sites or also trying to get into retail stores. Those were some amazing tips. I mean, the capital tip alone is gold because that is so true. But also you have to be prepared for returns and what that might mean. Yes. If you're doing retail. But the capital and getting paid, you said after a certain date. So the term might say 30, 60, 90, but it won't be from today's date. It could be from three months from now, 30 days from three months from now or something like that. So factoring that in and then just having money aside to returns and what's your plan when returns happen. I can't remember the name of the beauty brand that went into Sephora. And because they got so many returns, it killed the business. They ended up going out of business. It's a makeup line. I mean, because they were in so many stores. So them deciding not to carry them further, I mean, any longer or whatever happened in that case. I just remember that as saying their business, just going from indie brand to retail and not being prepared. Yes. <laughs> if someone were interested in hiring you, how would they get in touch with you? Absolutely. Great question. So a couple ways you can get in contact with me. So if you are on LinkedIn, please connect with me there. My name is Megan Young Gamble, and you'll see my title, The Project Execution Her, pop up as well. Second way to get in contact with me is to visit our website, www.getlevelconsulting.com. I am also on Instagram and Facebook, Get Level Consulting, all one word that is available. Or you can just email us directly 
info at getlevelconsulting.com. So you have a lot of different ways to get in contact with me. So that way we can actually schedule an insight session to chat about your brand, where you're trying to go and see how we can be a good fit for each other to help you get to the retail space. Megan, thank you so much. I mean, people think of beauty and they think of areas, they think marketing, they think R&D, but this is almost a linchpin that connects all of the other areas. So for our listeners who are thinking about industries to explore, if you're really highly organized, if you like putting pieces together like puzzles, like that kind of thing, that this is something to consider. If you like the aspect of keeping lots of trains moving, this is for you. So think about project management because it's a really, really important aspect of the beauty industry. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me, Megan. Thank you so much. And definitely much success to all the brands out here doing their thing. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. That's the best words of encouragement I can tell you because it will pay off. So continue to have the end goal in mind and just make sure you break it down into small, actionable steps for you to get there and you'll get there. Yeah, she said it here first. You heard it here first, folks. That's our show for today. If you have questions about where to start in your beauty career, drop us a line at hello at beautybizcamp.com. Remember, there are many roads to success, but each of them requires you to start. So take that step forward today. See you next time.